I've noticed that whenever I try to be cool, it's a super fail. <laughs> so it's, I, I, we should not be expecting you to be wearing tight jeans and tattoos in the near future. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn to critically think for yourself and discover your faith and grow your faith. It's not something that we can do for you. It's something you got to put the hard work in, mm-hmm. uh, but we can be your guides along the way. And my name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast <laughs> without the Salty Pastor himself. I've only got one today, Dr. Douglas P. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. It's so good to be here with all of you. Feeling exceptionally salty today to help season your life with the gospel of Christ. Get you fired up, fired up for your faith. And remember, in the end, it's uh, about growing your courage. It's about growing your sense of confidence in who you are, why you're here, the whole point and purpose of your life. And that's what makes a difference. So we're here to help you, coach you, inspire you. But in the end, it's your journey. So we are wrapping up our summer series of Get Up and Go. I've loved it so much. We've hit some super amazing points all along the way. Topics that you and and Harv and Zach um, wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I just want to kind of recap some of those because there's 10 of them. So not everybody (laughs) may remember. I had to look them up. Uh, So we have Pursue Intimacy. We have Make a Decision. Resolve Conflict. Serve. Be Generous pray, practice repentance, and be prepared. I don't think that's an exhaustive list, but it's a lot. It's a lot of them. (laughs) Um, And so, I mean, these things were were designed when you guys sat down for this series to really just be about getting people moving forward and growing in their faith. Yes, that's absolutely right. So talk to me about kind of what the next steps are, what they should be doing with these things. Well, I think that these things, you know, whether you're making decisions, you're learning how to give or tithe or be generous on a regular basis or pray, uh, uh, be prepared for the end times, you know, the second coming of Christ to live in a hopeful, positive way about the whole thing, uh, resolving conflict, whatever it is, these things to me all fall under the umbrella of repentance. And if you go back and listen to the message on repentance, it's all about how we uh, are not just turning away from the way the world does it, but we're turning towards God. We're turning towards what Christ is doing in us. So we want to pursue him with a singular focus. And in doing so, that upstream decision, that upstream focus really influences all of this downstream stuff. And it makes it not only more effective, but possible. See, that's the key is most people are in a position where they desire to change. They want to see, you know, their life be maybe better or different, but they don't feel that they have the capacity to change. Mm. Uh, And so the whole point of pursuing Christ, particularly in upstream, is that change comes so much easier because you're aligning what you believe with your true identity in Christ. And then that of course makes change possible. So that's what repentance is. Practicing repentance is doing these things that create greater alignment with who you are in your belief system. And so what that does is as you come more focused in alignment, you're going to find that the life 
downstream is changing for the better in dramatic way. So, you know, repentance is all about focusing on and pursuing Jesus Christ in a unified way. So on top of this, all, all these steps kind of leading to a greater form of repentance, the mm-hmm. true biblical repentance mm-hmm. in our life that's going to draw us closer. Um, we've kind of been touching on, you know, Thursdays we always talk about what what's the modern day, you know, practicality of what we're talking about on Correct. our Tuesday yeah. stuff, our biblical studies, right? And um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how, Every time America had a big leap forward, they mm-hmm. they really surged forward and made a big change. It was always predicated on a great awakening, a great yeah. spiritual yeah. awakening happening before that. Yes, um, and you know this was the abolishment of slavery. This was mm-hmm. the the revolution, yeah. um, and there was probably many more that we haven't even talked about. Right, but they were always preceded by a great spiritual awakening. So talk to us about where are we now? Do we see a great spiritual awakening happening? Are we, should we be expecting (laughs) some changes? Well, there's actually a group out there, you know, we've had three great awakenings. You can go and kind of look them up real quick and and study them. And there's a group of people called the fourth awakening. Okay. It's a movement right now. They're trying to get traction because they're, they're hoping for a revival or a great spiritual awakening. I think one of the things that's really difficult for people to understand is that we tend to see what's happening right now from a very uh, shortened time frame perspective. You know, we, we it's just the immediate. And I know that I, from one standpoint, there's a lot of people who are really concerned about America right now because it definitely is changing. And in a lot of ways, what we've seen right now is the effect, the offspring, I guess, of the secular humanist movement that really came roaring to the surface in the 60s, right after the sexual revolution. They used the sexual revolution to propagate secular humanism. And what happened is they changed the entire ethos of the public educational system. And whereas prior to that, the whole point of public education was to uh, prepare citizens for industry, mm. you know, is to help people have, you know, learn about the country, how the free market works, how to be a good citizen, you know, exercise your political uh, duty of uh, participation to be informed, and then uh, whatever industry, you know, that you want to be involved in. But what happened is started in the universities and kind of has now flowed down. And there's a lot of research done on all of this. And that is that the public educational system has really become a point of a, or an attempt to teach the religion of secular humanism. And it's very prominent. And we're seeing what happens when you raise people that way. And what happens is that these people uh, uh, are really lost and they're looking for something and they're not quite sure what it is. And so what we don't realize is when you step back and you look at all nations and all environments and things over a long period of time, centuries, and you look at them, what you see is that there's no such thing as any nation, country, or state that ever existed from its inception to its end on a flat line, you know, where it just was you know, it it was created, it grew to this point, and then it just kind of stayed this way, and then it fell apart. 
all nations, all states, all governments. So they go through all these huge ups and downs right. and rights and lefts, and they're all over the place, you know, and you get a new leadership in, they do this and so forth. And, and what happens is you see that trajectory historically of America. And what you see is you see freedom launched, right? And, and then it takes off. And then what happens is you see uh, people manipulate and try to abuse what the freedom and liberty is, and that kind of would push America to a, its brink or stretch it uh, to its brink. But then it would come bounce back, you know? And that's what these great awakenings were really important in that process. Well, and I think it's really important to be aware that our country is not very old either. Like right. in the grand scheme of things, there's yeah. most other countries in the world have been around a lot longer than yeah. us. Yeah. And so there's a lot, they, they're, I think they're a little more used to the waves cause they're like, Oh, yeah. you know, we've been through a ton of these and we're like, Oh my gosh, it's happening now. We're only 250 <laughs> years old. I think. And I think the other thing too, they really understand is that up until about 18, uh, the late 1800s after the civil war, I think it's really important to understand is that everybody was pretty much you know, abused by life. I mean, surviving was just one of the most difficult things you could ever imagine. Right. And I mean, there, there was, I mean, there was very, very few people that were, uh, what, what you would call privileged or had it easy, but even then they didn't, I mean, the world was in constant war men, the, the average age of lifespan for men up until about 1850, 1875, somewhere in there was probably about 30 some years old. And that's because of men were conscripted and, and had to fight and die constantly. Uh, women died in childbirth, like no tomorrow. If you, if you were a, a woman and you could, uh, you know, you, you met a guy, you fell in love and you started having children, the chances that you were going to survive five, six, seven childbirths was not very high. You know, you're the rolling infant, the dice basically. Yeah. The time. infant mortality rate was 50%, 50% of kids died, you know, before they reached their fifth birthday or something. I mean, the statistics, when you go back and look historically, it was just, just, you know, mother nature was, you know, effectively trying to kill you at any given moment, you know, with disease and all these things and was pretty good at it. And it wasn't until the late 1800s when the, uh, economy of America, pretty much America kind of launched this along with the industrial revolution, which started in, in Europe. But basically what happened is it created an environment where people could start to get a little healthier. We started to understand various uh, health things. And, and so now freedom became a little bit more of an issue mm. uh, because you had the opportunity to, you know, pursue freedom, I guess, and see its implications. And my point is, is that this is a long trajectory. And so when I talk about the state of America right now, I don't talk about it with, uh, the sky is falling mentality. I do talk about it from the standpoint. And as everybody's listened to the salty pastor, I think I'm pretty clear. I call out what's going on. I, I, I document everything that I call out. I use evidence-based database things to show that in a lot of ways, what's going on right now in America culturally is not good. What's happening in our education system is really bad. What's happening in our political system is not good, but 
I, I don't approach it with a chicken little, the sky is falling mentality, because what I see happening when you look at historically this huge trajectory is that in the midst of some of the greatest difficulties and struggles in America, you can go back and look at the Civil War. You can go back and look at the war with England, you know, the second one, the War of 1812. You can go back and look at um, our own Civil War. These were just really massively devastating things in, in the life of America. But there was something about the American spirit. There's something about the American people. And, and I believe it has to do with these great revivals, these great awakenings that, that just we raise up from the ashes of these difficulties. And I see what's happening right now is a seminal moment. And what's happening is, is we are seeing the effects of secular humanism. We are seeing the effects of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory being implemented in our public educational system and teaching an entire generation of kids over the last 35 years to be deconstructionists and postmodernists, and we're seeing the effect of that. And that we relatively have, we, we in essence in American society, uh, we don't have any objective truth. We have no objective goals or uh, social contract that pulls us together. Everybody wants to tear it down, bear it, you know, burn it to the ground with with uh, the un, the overwhelming ignorant notion that you're going to build something better in its place what are you going to build what is it because everything's been tried and the the historical record is pretty accurate everything else is big tried and it sucks you know <laughs> um there's an old cliche about american democracy is that it, you know it's it's messy and difficult it's the worst way to govern until you compare it to everything else and it's Love the that. best way to, <laughs> go. yeah, it's, it's the best way. So, so I think from a big standpoint, the key is not to have myopia. And that is in a lot of ways, uh, there are people that have tried cultural Christianity and it didn't work for them. And some people are what Craig Rochelle calls Christian atheists. They say they're Christians. Oh, I believe Jesus died on the cross and I celebrate his birthday at Christmas, but they're effectively atheists in their decision-making process, their lifestyle choices and everything else. And all of that is basically coming to a head. You, you know, they found the, the vapidness of that and it's completely empty. And so, the key is now to recognize that we're suffering these philosophical principles that have been seeded into our culture and taught to kids who've grown up into adults. Okay, we've, we're seeing that. And there are a lot of people that are leaving their sense of Christianity, but that's okay because we can't have an awakening as long as we're buying um, into a diluted watered down, distilled gospel truth. And that's why today people need and want answers. Uh, they need purpose. They need meaning. And the world is not giving it to them. And unfortunately, there's parts of uh, Christianity, the church in America, not outside the America where the church is growing extremely rapidly and it's extremely powerful. Right now, the fastest growing church in the world, guess what nation it's in? China, right? No. Oh. It's not in China and it's not in Africa. The fastest growing church right now of all places is in Iran. Iran. Yeah, Iran. Is wow. that unbelievable That's or crazy. what? It's crazy to think about this stuff. And people are like, 
well, how, you know, that's the least free country in the world yeah. run by a Islamic dictatorship. And yet it's growing there by leaps and bounds. So I'd right, right hot on its heels is China, you know, just, okay. but by the sheer numbers in China, you know, when you look at 1.2, 1.3 billion people, when you look at the percent and how it's growing right. sheer numbers, if not percent wise, but on a numerical basis, you would have to say China is probably the fastest right. growing, but for a percentage wise, it's Iran right now. But my point being is that, is it really so bad for things to get worse for people who have uh, denied God? They have no knowledge of God. They don't know who they are. Their definition of what it means to be a human being is scientific materialism or secular humanism. They've pursued their own empty wants and desires. They think that the whole point of life is to sexually express themselves. And now when COVID hits, they find out how isolated, how alone, how empty and how meaningless their life is. Uh, I don't wish this on anybody. I don't believe that this is, you know, God's judgment for America turning its back on him. <laughs> I don't think that's it. I think what it is is that th we're just reaping what we've sown. And what we've sown in our culture and society is secular humanism and postmodernism and deconstructionism. And now, now we see the result of it, you know? And I think people don't need a church that says, see, I told you so. They need a church that comes and says, this is why what's going on is destroying your life. And this is who Jesus is. And this is the strength and the power of the of what it means to be redeemed by him because it confronts the very things that deconstructionism and postmodernism and secular humanism and the way you've been taught to think is destroying your life and i'm sure you you know you your generation is suffering what was sown into the culture i mean it's it's pretty bad in my generation and and all the generations coming after mine because it's the, the constant battle is, well, you know, I just see these things wrong with it. So it can't be the right path or, you know, they're yeah. hearing from these different things, these different outlets, whether it's political or media based. And it's like, well, you know, those Christians, they just, they're, they're so narrow minded and they're the they, Taliban. They're, yeah. The Taliban <laughs> or whatever. And it's like, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that are not believers and a lot of their issues are, well, they're just not inclusive enough. And it's like, well, I mean, God loves everyone. I don't know that you can get more <laughs> inclusive than that, but I mean, okay, <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. And so, I mean, it's just really hard because they're deconstructing, you know, they, they find one issue right? and they don't give it enough time or do the research or have enough discussions right. to really suss out what that is. They say, oh, I heard you believe this. So we're going to throw that whole thing out. We can't yeah. believe in that. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's the same thing with, you know, it's just, it's everywhere. I mean, even I was reading a script writing book the other day and the writer of it, who is a liberal who does believe in deconstructionism yeah. was like, uh, other script writers who write a, a script and they say it's about nothing are just lazy. Like they're just <laughs> like, he's like, you can't be a deconstructionist and tell a story. Like yeah, it doesn't can. work. He's like, it doesn't work. And it's like, that's what people are doing to their lives. They're like, well, I'm just going to deconstruct my life. It's like, well, you're, you're throwing away your story and yeah. now your story is nothing. It's nothing. So what a great point. What a great point. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think the age of attractional Christianity in America is over, you know, that, 
there was a time when the people like maybe your friends would people like your friends would say, well, I can't go to church cause it's not inclusive enough. It doesn't, right. it doesn't like these, these type of people. And so then the church would stand, you know, so, you know, celebrity pastors say, well, we're inclusive with all, you're all welcome here. We'll affirm your lifestyle no matter what, blah, 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 blah. And then that didn't make any difference. Then it was something else. And then it was something else. Then it was music. Then it was the way you dress and it's whether you have tattoos or not and this, and now, you know, uh, to be a pastor, a young pastor, pastor in a, in a celebrity oriented church, you know, you have to wear $2,000 tennis shoes. You have to have a certain look, you have to have the right tattoos. And I'm like, that seems to be the most narrow, non-accepting of people approach that I could ever imagine. Mm. And you're, you're talking about God, but there's no life transformation. And then now what you see, there's a big movement out there um, in social media called exvangelical. And that is people who are ex evangelicals and that's real popular right now. And these are, these are guys that were pastors in churches, worship people, music people. And they all are saying about how well, we don't believe in it anymore. And we're gone. Of course they get all of the, the praise because deconstructionism, the religion of deconstructionism loves tearing things down. So if you stand up and you say, man, I stand for this and this is what I believe. No one will watch you. No one will like you. No one, you're going to get no hearing. You know, I'm just absolutely shocked that people listen to the salty pastor. You know, <laughs> I mean, when we started this, I said, yeah, you know, my mom is going to listen and my stepdad and probably well, that's it about anyway. it. You know, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, and you're just like, yeah, you know, we're, we jumped another 300, you know, down subscribers. I'm like, wow, thousands of people are listening to this thing. Mm. It's unbelievable to me because what I do, deconstructionism hates. It's heresy. Right. You see, it's heresy to the religion of deconstructionism, but out there in the media and everything else, if you just tear stuff down and just, cause I'm so cool, you know, and you're not. And, and so what ends up happening is it, it, uh, gets all the attention gets right. all the likes and stuff like this. And here's, here's a funny story. I was talking to Dana, our director of adult ministries the other day, and we were talking about, uh, you know, doing what we're doing and everything like that. And she just made this joke. She says, I don't like it when you say jelly jam. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, it just does not, it just doesn't come out off right when you say that. <laughs> and I go, you know, that's an interesting observation. I've noticed that whenever I try to be cool, it's a super fail. <laughs> so it's, I, I, we should not be expecting you to be wearing tight jeans and tattoos in the near future. <laughs> I, I, I don't have anything against guys to get tats. You know what I'm saying is that I, but I you're just not, never you're got not going to do it for, uh, you know, a bigger, yeah. uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I just, yeah, whenever I try to be cool, it's a fail. Yes. You know, that is not my flex. Right. <laughs> See, I learned all this stuff from my 16-year-old. <laughs> how to talk this way. But but I, I think one of the things is is that the, the attractional Christianity is over. What, what I think we need to do is return to the convictional mm. Christianity. And convictional Christianity is when somebody comes to a point and says, my life is empty. I need meaning. My life needs to be redeemed. I'm tired of trying and failing. And it's not enough to be the, 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 with the group of people where we, we walk around and the presumption or the assumption is we're so cool because we ridicule everybody else around us and how they're not it. And then, and then you look at your life and you go, look, I'm 35 and I've done nothing. I am nothing. Mm. I have nothing. 
And, and that's, that's what's so sad is when you're a deconstructionist, it's really fun when you're a teenager, you know, and then when you're twenties, it really, it, uh, it alleviates you of guilt because what people don't understand is deconstruction is a passive aggressive tendency. So it's, it, there's a lot of anger and hate in deconstructionism. Mm. And then what happens is this is then you get into your thirties and your life is totally vapid. It's totally empty. You have nothing and you're stuck because you're like, I can't go here and I can't do that. And you know, I'm just totally stuck. I was reading about this gal who uh, was an atheist. She says, I was a left-wing atheist. I was hardcore. And I got married to this guy. And his mom said, well, we can't ever bless your marriage because you were unequally yoked. And that made her so mad. She says, I was so mad. I was going to go down and just destroy their religion. So I went out and bought a Bible and I started reading it, you know, and cause I was going to know every argument so that I could just, re- cause she's a very intellectual gal. Right. And then she goes, she goes, what's interesting is that, uh, I, she wasn't married to the guy. They were engaged to be married. Um, and then he broke the, engagement off. And she says, but it's really interesting. She says, when I went in there with a super hostile attitude and started reading the new Testament, she says, I found out that the, all the answers in my life I was looking for were in the Bible. Mm. She goes, who would have thought 2000 years ago? She goes, I lost the guy, but I gained a savior. Mm. And I was just like, See, that's the story of what deconstructionism tells people is the only reason she investigated it was to destroy it. Right. But then what did it do? Even the hardest heart, the most closed minded person, when you read it fairly, it, it changes your life, you know? And so I think, I think that the convictional Christianity is not about guilt. This is very important to understand. I'm not talking about guilt and shame at all. I, I don't think that that's effective. What I'm talking about is conviction, and that is when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm talking about. So we are, are kind of wrapping up this series, and we don't actually have tons of time left on today's podcast. But, I mean, I think people want to see, you know, what are, what are the things that we can do to take the principles we've learned yeah. and apply them to our current events, you know, you know, we, we understand how these things we learned and and get up and go, will help grow our faith. But is there a way to utilize them in our current events? How do we go forward utilizing what we've learned during this series? Well, if I was going to give people real practical advices, I would take one or two of those things and just try to start working on them. You know, what, Mm -hmm. what, what message resonated, whether it was Zach's or Harv's or one of the ones I did and what resonates with you and just, just slowly start pursuing one. Don't try to pursue all 10, just one. You know, right. just pursue it, and and that's called practicing repentance, and you're going to find times of refreshing coming from the Lord when you do that. But um, when it comes to America, don't be uh, don't be discouraged, because even when things get worse, sometimes that's an opportunity for a, a breakthrough to a whole new thing, and so. Uh, work on yourself, work on your own character and your own spiritual growth, because being a light in the darkness is one of the greatest things you can do. Mm. Um, that's what really is a witness to the world. When it comes to your civic duty, vote. Everyone should vote. If you are 18 years or older, you should vote. This is the best way to keep America healthy and on the right track. I don't mean vote Republican or independent or Democrat. I'm just saying vote, work the process. The reasons why is first, it's good for you because you're participating and it forces you to reconcile your faith with your vote. You, you have to align who you're voting for with your core values. And here's the bottom line. This is why it's so difficult 
is because when you vote for somebody, they never align with all of your biblical values. It's never going to happen. Right. And so when everyone though votes, it also creates more unity, not less because everybody's participating and it lowers resentment in our society because it removes the sense that what you do doesn't matter. Everybody voted. Mm. Okay. So when everybody votes, there's less of a tendency to get, uh, to demonize your opponent because when, when only half of the adults vote, right. That what you do is you appeal to the lowest common denominator of human nature to motivate people. You scare them, Mm. you scare them and you frighten them. And that man is bad or that candidate is horrible. That gal's going to destroy that you demonize. But because what you realize is that turnout is the big thing. Right. And if I can motivate my side to turn out, their side won't. But what if everybody voted? Right? right? You you wouldn't spend any time trying to tear the other person down. You try to persuade people why your agenda is better because every single person votes. Right. Right? You're not trying to motivate people who normally don't vote to go vote. The other thing is it's the best way to keep elections fair and honest. When if if everybody voted, I know this is altruistic, but if everybody voted, let's say in a precinct, you had, you know you had ten thousand people, and all ten thousand adults voted, right? Well, ten thousand individuals who are real people show up and vote. Well, there's no gap, there's no spot that you could activate any type of misdirection or fraud, right? Right. Because everybody showed up and cast their vote. Right. <laughs> so what it does is that's the best way to have election integrity. Now, I know that that may not happen because we can't seem to force people to do that. And so that's why I think voting is such a big thing. As Christians, we should just vote. We should go and do our duty and vote, and we should align our faith with our values. And we should. I'm not saying you should vote Republican. I'm not saying you should vote Democrat or you should vote Independent or Libertarian or Green Party or whatever. I'm saying, though, as a Christian, you should go and actually vote. Mm. Well, I have just really, really loved this entire series, um, all of the practical steps, you know, even just these last two podcasts going back through them and and, and kind of refreshing on what we've talked yeah. about has been really helpful and just, you know, bringing things to light that, you know, I already kind of said, oh yeah, I forgot we talked about that kind of a thing. So <laughs> yeah. it's good just to refresh and be able to go back and, and remember these things. We are starting a brand new series next week. Um, which I know you're really excited for. I'm really yes. excited for the Jesus Loves Me series. Mm-hmm. Um, six essentials, um, pillars of, of faith. faith. Yeah. Yep, Pillars of the faith, absolute pillars. And it's going to be a really great series. But this week we're closing out with Pastor Harv and he's going to, yes. he started us on the series and he's going to close us on the series. And I'm really excited to see that. So we just really appreciate you guys joining us. Um, thank you so much for joining us every Tuesday and Thursday to learn more, to grow your faith, to Uh, learn to critically think for yourself. We've just so much enjoyed you guys joining us and we hope you'll join us on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church in beautiful Boise, Idaho. God bless you.